Hello everyone. Good morning on this very rainy morning. A very warm welcome to you all and to this conversation with Amanda, Amanda Spielman, Ofsted's Chief Inspector, about the challenges for education after coronavirus. I'm Roman Maddox, the Director of the Institute. Before we kick off some very brief housekeeping arrangements, we're going to be live tweeting from IFG events using the hashtag IFG Ofsted. Please do follow and tweet along. Please do send in your questions for Amanda as early as you like. That can mean now. If you give your name and where you're viewing from it, that really is great for us to know. It's often relevant to the context. You can post your questions in the panel on the right of your screen. And we're going to have a video and sound recording on our website within 24 hours. Thanks to the great IFG team. Well, we're very glad to have Amanda Spielman with us today. As you know, she's been Chief Inspector for the Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skills, or Ofsted, since 2017. Her five-year term was due to expire at the end of this year, but in June, the Education Secretary confirmed an extension until the end of 2023. Before taking on this position, she spent five years as chair of Ofqual, the Office of Qualifications and Examinations Regulation, after over a decade working for the Academy Chain Arc Schools. Amanda, very warm welcome. Good morning, Brahman. It's great to be here. Well, let's start with coronavirus and where it's left us, where this extraordinary 18 months that has turned everyone's lives upside down has left schools and education. And I want you, schools are back now. I just wondered if you could take us into an overall assessment of where we are now and what has changed. Of course. Um, first of all, it's great that children are back in school and that I hope most will have an undisrupted education this year. Um, it's really, really important for them because what we've got at the moment, I think, and looking back over the past year, we've had a very unusual situation where children who we, we normally put very high in our list of public policy priorities have been essentially at the bottom um, of the policy priorities because they're, they're not significantly affected by COVID, um, I expect. And the, and the hope was that you could put children's lives on hold to, to provide an infection buffer. Um, but the impact has been enormous. Um, and first of all, the sheer amount that children haven't learnt that they would normally learn. Um, we had a period when very few schools um, managed a, a really effective remote learning programme, um, followed by a period when schools got quite a lot better at doing that. But um, what we've what we've seen is that no matter how how hard people work at the, the provision end, children simply learn on average greatly less than they normally would. Um, certainly sort of less than half what they normally would seems to be the kind of estimate coming back from studies in many countries. So and the other thing that happens is that gaps widen. The brightest and most motivated children move ahead. Um, the, the less able and the, the least motivated and those with least, least support um, have done least well and sometimes gone backwards. Younger children especially have sometimes actually gone backwards. So, so we've had a great deal of educational focus on closing closing gaps over the last decade or two, it's very clear that, 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 that there's been a very big setback. So it's tough times for education and really important, I think, that children get um, a very good year. Oh, and I should add, it's not just the academic um, position. Mm -hmm. Physical health has deteriorated. Um, lack of exercise has certainly affected children. I think I saw that the population as a whole um, is half a stone heavier on average. Um, than it was pre-lockdown and um, what I hear from primary schools very much reflects um, um, that, 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 that 
ch ch children are very clearly um, less healthy than they were. And of course, mental health gets a great deal of attention at the moment. Um, and children have missed out on all the all the, the wider um, music, sport, drama, all the things that, that help children discover um, where their strengths and talents lie and motivate motivate them for life ahead. Um, that all went. So, so it's very, very important that we get fully back. So how do we get fully back? I mean, it is, it's, you, after the landscape you've just sketched out, this is a huge job of remedial education. Um, I, I have heard people in the cabinet office, uh, albeit early in the pandemic, describe this as a you know Marshall Plan, um, or, or is on that scale of kind of, of remedy for what the pandemic has caused. How how do we go about it? Well, I think the first thing I want to say is that most of the catching up that children do will happen in their main classroom with their normal teachers. There are things that we can do to make that as good as it can be, um, but this is sort of everyday magic that teachers do of really motivating children to want to learn and introducing them to the whole curriculum, taking taking them through in a well-structured way with the sort of minimal um, wastage of time. What I think one of the things I think we'll have to do is to be really pretty focused. Um, I think um, there are experiences, there are sort of nice nice to have things that that, that are often built, built built into curricula and I suspect a lot of those um, will, 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 will get cut out for the children who've, who've, who've missed the most. Um, I think the critical thing is making sure that children get back into the, the range of that normal classroom. A child who essentially learnt nothing through year one is going to be struggling in year two. Um, that child will need um, so some good tutor time to help to, to give them very focused attention to the critical um, literate, li li literacy math, math, maths pieces that will make it possible for them to be fully part of a, of, of a, year, of a year two classroom. So really good diagnosis of where children are actually at, not what did the school try and teach through the remote offering, but where are children now? So, so, so that where, where the teaching starts from is really closely matched. And that's and what you, we you said the sheer range of what you've described makes it incredibly difficult sheer range within a class and a school yes. and then uh, between between types of school what have you made about some of the suggestions for longer days longer terms and so on well i think it's important to remember that children are children um i think there's <coughs> plenty of just all of us have a sort of finite amount of attention we can put into a day you can't suddenly say to a child you're, you're, you're going to study for 15 hours a day and mathematically that will mean you catch up the school time and we have five, six, five or six hours that we can really concentrate in a day. So for me, the first thing is to make sure that we make the very most of the time that we already have and that schools are already staffed and organised to equip to, to really make the most of that. And then um, enlarging the, 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 the school day can, can certainly make sense, provided it's not just a bit of extra time that somebody else pastes on, that it's properly integrated into the curriculum, that it genuinely helps children do better um, in in each in each of their of, of their classes and provides the time for the for the for the enrichment. I sometimes hear people talking about extra time as though it's just a thing that you get somebody else to provide 45 minutes of enrichment at the end of the day. I think that's probably going to do much less to help with the backlog we've got. Um, than than some than something that is a sort of genuine um, sort of partial expansion of the of, of of the curriculum to allow everything that needs a bit more space, a bit more time to have it. 
because you've been keen on on so if there was going to be extension time it being used for sports and after school clubs and the whole broadening of the curriculum that, that you've been very keen on on the richness of the curriculum i i i think you should, uh, i should say what's what's been the response to that I think very positive. I mean, I think I think I think parents recognise quite how much their children have lost on that front. So the the point I would make is about the importance of the breadth. Um, we can very clearly see <coughs> in the core curriculum the things that, that the things that children need. But if we made um, extra time, additional time in the curriculum, all about say more English and maths, I think I think people would see that as um, and par as, as a fairly dull offer. And I think parents would probably be reluctant. Um, to allow to it to 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 send send their children to school for extra hours, if they thought it was only about in, in English and math. So I think getting that that breadth that 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 rounded quality to what schools offer again is is so important. What about the school calendar? And this is you know there's a, a debate that comes up and up and up um, in many countries um, uh, about whether the long summer holidays are, are still appropriate. Um, what do you think of that as we, you know, we're now well into the 21st century, long way away from agricultural society and people are floating things as the Education Secretary Gavin Williamson did, say, uh, shorting the summer holiday, having five terms school year. People, people are playing around with these ideas, but they have been for a long time. They have been for a long time and it's interesting that the experiments tend not to stick. Mm. Um, and if you look um, and um, um, we 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 don't have a particular a particularly long school school year overall, um, so 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 there is potentially scope for for for, th for thinking about in increasing the school the school year, but it's it's not radically out of out of the norm. But what we do have is a summer holiday that's pretty short by international standards. Um, I looked up. Um, I was interested in this and saw that the longest summer br summer breaks are typically sort of 12, 13 weeks. Um, the very shortest one that I could find anywhere was five weeks and we're on six. So it doesn't look like there's an enormous amount of school year to capture in the summer. And if we're going to capture some more time, um, I suspect most parents would 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 would, pr would prefer to see um, less holiday at some of the times of year. It's hard to keep children occupied um, and to and to do nice things outside than to than to shorten the summer still further. Yeah, short as our, our weather summer actually is. Um, short as it is. Let's, let's move on to one of the points that has been particularly controversial, perhaps the most controversial one during coronavirus, and that's the disparity um, of educational att attainment between schools and types of school. Has it taught us anything about what ought to happen now? I think there's been quite a lot of misunderstanding and, mi and, and, and mi mis misinterpretation in this, I think there were, are you are you referring to the sort of media stories, um, so, um, talk, talk, talking about the the proportions of highest grades from from private schools? Is that yeah. the? Um, what I understand from my my former colleagues at at at, at Ofsted is that essentially that, that that the absolute amount of inflation has been more or less the same across all types of school this year, but because private schools had the highest. Um, range of marks and grains or grades already that amount of inflation sort of disproportionately added a's and a stars to to to, to, to their to their students okay. so, I, so i think that's i think that may have been poorly interpreted what i think is important is that i'm also referring to something even even simpler which is that, that many of many of the not all of the private schools um turned out to be better than many not all 
of, of the state schools at teaching, at remote teaching during the circumstances of, of coronavirus? Um, yes, no, it's clear that there were enormous disparities in what schools offered and sort of many pa parents comparing what school A was offering and what, what, what school, B, school B was offering. Um, there is there there is an unevenness in resource, which I think we have to acknowledge. The average the average of private school has three times as much money, so so far more staff, far 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 more far more technology to to mobilise to to switch to teaching remotely. So I don't think we should lose sight of that entirely. But that doesn't explain the disparities that we saw in that we saw in the state sector. Another thing I saw was that in a lot of schools it felt as though they that the, their attention went very rapidly to the most disadvantaged children and to sort of making food parcels, going out, going out, visiting um, attention. They, they put a great deal of attention into the children with greatest difficulties, which which is admirable. But a bit, in some cases that probably got prioritised over making sure that there was a certainly last summer over 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 and I sorry, summer 2020, um, which may have meant that they didn't have the capacity left to make sure that, that, that there was some kind of education offer for all children. And I think in those first few weeks when it looked as though it might just be sort of three, 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 three or four weeks, um, it was less obvious to some that they really did need to start um, assembling as a full, full remote education offering. But what do you make of the union's response during all of this and their contribution to the planning of lessons? Well, I think for me, it's it, it, it's quite it's quite disappointing that it's been sometimes been hard to get the real focus on what's right for children and what is actually manageable was was, was manageable, notwithstanding the context of of of, of COVID restrictions. Um, so I I, th I think really really pushing to get schools back back open um, was the right was the right thing to do. We missed children missed more school um, in England. Than, than, than in most affected countries. Um, and I think let's stay focused on, on look at, look at looking forward and giving children as much as we can this year. What about homeschooling? Um, obviously many, many families, most were doing a version of it during that. And with some, it became very popular. And it was in any case, it seems to me, um, uh, becoming gradually more popular. What should we make of it? Which should, should we regulate it more? Th Homeschooling is a very interesting um, mix at the moment. I think when you talk when you talk to most people about homeschooling, um, they perhaps think about your your sort of classic homeschoolers, sort of very committed, very committed parents. Um, the stereotypes we have 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 your typical homeschooling parent with 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 perhaps with a small holdings, very focused on sort of making things, growing things. Um, but there are, is very it's clear that there, that there there is a cadre of very committed very responsible and very competent homeschooling parents and always have been and we are a permissive country where by default um people are allowed to educate their children as they choose um in school if they choose and not in school if 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 they if they cho choose to do it some other way um over the years we've also seen an increasing strand that is really um driven i think by religious belief um, often by people who are members of quite segregated religious groups who who want to keep their child um, within that group while they are while they are children, so prefer to, to educate them at home for that reason. 
Um, but we're also seeing um, children who have fallen out of school for for lack of a for lack of or, or or not got into school for for lack of a suitable place or because schools haven't been able to cope with them. Um, sometimes schools have essentially squeezed them out by um, suggesting pretty strongly that the child is is risk of at risk of permanent exclusion. Um, if the parent doesn't doesn't withdraw them. And of course, those are often the parents who are least well equipped to be teaching their children at home. And I think we can now also see there's a layer of and children um, who, who may be le least equipped to learn at home. But both. Um, and now we've got a layer that's 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 around COVID anxiety, I think. Um, sometimes um, children, children who themselves have perhaps have medical conditions or who live in a family where somebody does and sometimes and perhaps simply parents who are, who are particularly nervous about COVID. So we saw um, school attendance at pretty disappointing levels um, through much of last summer term. So beyond anything that could be accounted for by 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 child infections and isolation requirements. And I think it's it's this term that is going to reveal quite how much of that is children who are genuinely lost to the school system um, and, and how much um, was was temporary. Oh, I should mention. Is, the is, is it going to reveal it, though? Because I'm I'm wondering about the lack of, um, of data that we have yeah. on children who are being homeschooled and whether you thought that there should be better registers of that, um, a bit of an attempt to work out what they're being taught. As you said, there are many very dedicated uh, yeah. homeschoolers. Um, who might be teaching something very much in line with the curriculum that might let their children then rejoin the education system, whatever. The others would be teaching something completely different, others who maybe not teaching anything at all. It's and th th this is a subject that I had no idea until I came into this job quite how emotive it was. Um, various MPs have told me that there is nothing that brings more people into their constituency offices than a proposal to regulate homeschooling in any way at all. Um, apparently, the turnout is immense um, when that happens. So, because there was these would be the people who really don't want regulation of homeschooling. And and um, so the proposals um, that DFE had floated pre pre pandemic and that and that I that, that I that I think are, are likely to, um, to 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 cut to come back out are are for um, a basic registration essentially. Mm. Um, so that we know who the children are, um, who's where they are and who's taking responsibility for educating them. That to me seems like a, a pretty basic information. And when I heard suggested by um, a homeschooling advocate that the that, that, that only paedophiles had to register, I thought, no, actually, the vast majority of children in the country are on school registers with that kind of basic information that that the better way to think about it is is simply to extend some of what we capture through school registration of children so that we have the the same basic information for children not in school so an, another example is we simply don't know um which children of the children who who weren't attending last summer we don't know we don't know which were the children um, which children were withdrawn and which had actually moved back to another country. Um, we know that, that some Eastern European families, for example, um, left, 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 left the UK. Very good point. Um, so, so just trying to understand which children are there for, that to, to make sure that there is a sort of some sense of collective responsibility for. It's a, it's a very basic thing and I, I don't think any homeschooling parent needs to feel threatened by that. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for that. Immensely diplomatic. Um, 
answer, but, but, but thanks also for the clarity about, about registration. It is, as you said, an incredibly emotive topic, but it is one that coronavirus has, has, has pushed right up there. And, and I am really concerned that there are a lot of children at the moment with a home education label who are not getting a meaningful education. And I think I think that should be a cause of real concern to us. You've um, let's go to the Ofsted um, mm. criteria and the way Ofsted in, inspects things. And you, um, Ofsted changed its 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 criteria to focus more on the on the um, school uh, curriculum. Um, and you've been referring to that through this, or to, to your the importance you put on the the breadth of the, the richness of the school curriculum. And and so there was a bit less on on results. And that was back in 2019. Um, do you think that this new focus on the curriculum is actually leading to real changes in how schools look at that curriculum, how they develop it? Well, excuse me. of course, here we are slightly handicapped by COVID because we had been working with the new inspection framework for six months when routine inspection was suspended. Um, and it restarted this week. Our, our, first our first routine inspections started yesterday. Um, so it's a little bit too early for me for, for me for me to talk about um, what we're seeing now. But in the first six months, it, it was extremely encouraging and it was very well received, actually, by people real who realised that with a very strong focus on results and a conversation that was more about what results did you get last year? Are you expecting them to, 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 to go up this year? If not, why not? The conversation had moved away from the substance of what's being taught. So we'd become we um, as a system we'd become much less discriminating about where were schools getting fantastic history results say by teaching them a lot of history um in a way that that, that both meant they absorbed a lot but also could really think with it read more inquire um, all those that all those things that we clearly want out of education and where actually had schools got really good at teaching children likely exam answers and having them memorize them and reproduce them a number of times until they could do it virtually error free. I'm characterising um, the extreme at that end, but actually um, exam prep had come to it's a very it's a really quite low level exam and test prep had come to be surpri a surprisingly large proportion of teaching in many places. And that was taken being taken as a sort of good practice, what you need to do to get the grades. So by shifting the conversation back to what sits underneath that, what history, what science, what maths are you aiming for? Are you aiming, aiming for children to learn? How are you thinking about the curriculum? How are you sequencing it? How are you making sure you can teach it well? How do you know where children are making progress and where you aren't? It's taken the conversation back to being about education itself. It's we live in a world with immense amounts of measurement and metrics. And I think 15 or 20 years ago, it looked as though we could very much approach education entirely in the same way. And so, what I think we learnt in the 15 years of inspection, where the focus was very much on outcomes and relatively little on what sat underneath, was that a sort of gap opened up between what people and what 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 any responsible parent would want their child to get out of school and what was sometimes actually happening. So I think we're we're talking about closing the gap in a constructive way that that doesn't say results don't matter. Of course they do. But we want great result to see great results being achieved in the right way by doing what's actually best for children. Mm. As you mentioned, Ofsted has restarted in inspections yesterday. Where do you start? You've had this long hiatus since uh, March um, 2020, really, and, and restarted in full just now. Where do, where do you start? 
Well, I have a, 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 sm a small team that, 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 that holds the, the, the risk information um, from, vari from various directions. Um, and um, of course, all the all the statutory requirements. So we so so we, so so indeed, inspection has been suspended for two years. Um, the 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 normal five years has been extended. So we aren't trying to to to, to catch up on a backlog um, in, in in inside a year or a year a year or two. Um, but but we are also bringing outstanding schools back into the scope of inspection, which I think is very important. There are there there are something like. Um, a quarter of schools, somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of schools, I think, have an outstanding rating. Um, and the oldest of those hadn't, I think it's 14 years now since some of those were inspected. Um, re a really a very long time. So that's an important part of the programme. We've been doing monitoring visits to the, we the weakest schools um, through the spring and summer, which I think was it was it was it was important and valuable. Um, but now we need to to spread back out and make sure that that that, that we are, we are getting to all to to the schools where we have concerns, but also getting that that full full cycle going because we know how much parents value it. We know that it that it's genuinely notwithstanding that people talk about it um, in terms of anxiety. I sometimes think the the best analogy for an inspection is is the root canal treatment um, at your at, at, at your at your dentist. You you don't look forward to it with joy, but but once it's done, you're actually pretty glad it's been done. <laughs> maybe that's not maybe that's let's not, let's not take the analogy any further. Something has gone really wrong if you're if, if you're starting having root canal treatment. Let me we've got tons of really good questions. So I want to come to those in in just a second. Let me ask you one more. Um, I, I've got lots more, but I, I'll ask you one more. Um, do you think that Ofsted should be holding multi academy trusts directly accountable rather than individual schools within? A, a trust. Um, I do think um, that, we, that, we, that we should be looking at multi-academy trusts. Um, the point that I've made ever since I started this job is that, is that accountability systems need to face a system as it actually operates. Um, and the accountability system we've got, the legislation that, that sets it up was, was um, put in place in a world where each school was a, a standalone entity with its own governing body. So it made sense to conceive of inspection as something that happened entirely at unit level. Um, we've moved on. It's not just schools in mats. It's also nurseries. Many nurseries operate in chains. Many children's homes. Could their colleges have consolidated in, in, into, into groups? Um, so what I would argue for um, is, is, that, is that we need to think about where decision making and responsibility sits <coughs> and make sure that inspection and actually the other other components Inspections not the only piece piece of the accountability system reflect all the levels. I also hear it argued that for parents it's important to have some kind of view on the, the particular child, particular school that their child attends. So there's a balancing act to do, um, but I think it will evolve that way. We do summary evaluations of a sample of mats every year, um, and I think we're going to be continuing and expanding that program. I do think that that's the way that the world will evolve in the in the not too distant future. Well, thank you for that. Let's go to questions and we've got really um, lots and lots of them. Um, let me start with one from Ruth Wareham. And thank you everyone for sending them in, that, uh, absolutely terrific. Um, one from Ruth Wareham, Ofsted has been quite vocal about the fact it does not currently have the powers it needs to tackle illegal schools. How hopeful are you that you will get these powers in the near future, particularly given that the risks posed to children in these settings appear to have continued over the pandemic? We have some of the powers that we, that, that, that we, that we need. Um, we have we have the right to enter 
Um, the thing that's that's been making it really hard for us is not having the power to to take away any evidence. Um, and it's very frustrating for our inspectors um, when they arrive at what is clearly an illegal school and the staff can simply well, pick up all the books and papers they've got there and walk out of the building with the, with, with the children. Um, we're very pleased that we have, notwithstanding, been, been able to prosecute a number of illegal schools. I think there's there's one case where, um, which was the first one that's been prosecuted for a second time and was convicted last week or the week before. We're still waiting to see what the sentence is. Um, but yes, um, the, the legal framework never contemplated really that, that people would carry on running an illegal school after it had been pointed out to them that they were running an illegal school. Um, there's much in education where there's an assumption that, that nobody would operate with a, with, with a lack of integrity. So, 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 so we are having to, to the, we're having to rethink the world, I think, um, to, 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 to mm. try and understand um, how we can, how we can address these kinds of things. Um, do, does that include more powers? Um, it does. In, it certainly includes um, powers to collect evidence, um, and we don't prosecute ourselves. Yep. Um, the, CP, the, the CPS takes the decisions to prosecute. I don't think we're we're not looking to become a, pr a, a prosecutor, but we'd, we would we would like the, the the legal framework to be refreshed to deal with the situation as it now is, where where unfortunately there are a small proportion of people who will absolutely deliberately carry on running unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, and the conditions in some of the some of the some of the illegal schools that we've been into have been truly horrifying. Um, locked fire exits, um, vermin, sharp sharp edges, everything that as a parent you wouldn't want in the space that your 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 your, ch your child was being educated in, as well as very poor quality of education. Okay, thank you for that. Let me go to one from John Collins from the Prisoners Education Trust. And he says prison education has arguably been disrupted by COVID-19 even more than schools. Last week, you announced a review of prisoner education. What led to this decision and what have been your impressions of prison education so far? Um, what led to it? We, um, not many people know that the Ofsted inspects the um, the education component um, of, pr of pr prison activity. Um, at both sort of general and um, vocational education. We don't publish our own inspection reports. We are part of the, the prison inspectorate team um, that goes into prisons. We've become increasingly concerned um, about the position of prisoners over the last 18 months. Um, obviously, they've been spending an enormous amount of time in cells. To all, all education classes have been suspended um, and what education provision there's been um, has essentially been of fairly miserable in-cell packs, generally miserable in-cell packs, which of course, firstly need a lot of motivation to plough through and secondly, need literacy. And we know that um, more than half of prisoners read less well than the average 11 year old. So there's been a terrible hiatus. Um, and it's clear that the ed that one of the functions of prison is to work towards rehabilitation and, and re reintegration and with no no meaningful education going on. Um, that's really, really handicapping many people's chances of getting back to a decent life. OK, thanks for that. We take one from Eleanor Busby um, from PA. She says that could be press association, could be other things that many organisations that designation let us know. Um, uh, anyway, the question is a good one. Can you provide some examples of what primary schools are seeing 
in regards to children's health and what they're doing to improve it? Um, I've only heard this anecdotally in visits I've made over the last six months, but um, um, I've simply heard from heads that, 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 that they're putting a lot, a lot of emphasis on playground time, on running around time. I think I've heard about some daily mile activities. Um, just what, what, what I heard about was the recognition. I, these visits were, um, were mostly while bubbles were still operating, when, when schools were operating under very severe constraints. So I, th I, th I think schools at that point were being um, the, certainly the primary. I, I think I only visit, talked, talked about this in primary schools, but they were trying to be imaginative and creative to get children moving. Okay, thanks very much indeed for that. Um, and then there are a lot of uh, it's a tendentious subject, as you, as 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 you know. Um, there's one about um, children in the care system and care homes who have been severely impacted during COVID. What is Ofsted policy uh, in recognising these challenges as a return to normal outcomes is still. Um, yeah, we've been visiting um, children's homes throughout and. Actually, um, what we've seen, um, and of course there are always exceptions, but for the most part, we've se we, we've seen children's homes do a pretty good job um, for the for, for the for the for the children with them. Schools have provided um, for for all for all ch ch children in care. They've been able to uh, to attend school, um, though disappointingly, um, when access to schools was pretty restricted, a surprisingly large proportion of children who were still entitled to attend didn't take those places up. Um, I think the uh, that the greater concern for me is about the children, um, the, 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 the children known to social services, um, perhaps who get it, get it, getting the sort of early help services, but 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 who've lost that eye of the teacher um, to see to to see how they're doing, and often um, and, and many of those services were suspended, and of course, sort of new children where 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 where, where schools. If they'd been operating fully, might have picked up signs, signs, signs of concern. Um, a lot of that has been on hold, so that, that's one of the reasons I'm glad children are, children are back in school. Um, but the, but children in children's homes, I'm I'm pl I'm pleased to say, I think generally um, were pretty well looked after. Thank you for that. Um, there's one from Lord Soley saying apologies for delay uh, contacting internet problems. Um, but what is your approach to home education? And we have covered that quite a bit. Or you did, you did um, in in our opening conversation. Um, he says uh, Baroness Berridge has said the government intends to legislate. Uh, is there anything you want to add to that? Um, I, I think he may have missed your earlier answer. So. Um, no, um, ju just that the the, po the point I have been been making, um, and 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 that I think is st is still my 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 main point is to essentially extend. The benefits of school registration to all children so that we do understand where they are and and who is providing education for them um, so that we understand where the responsibilities like local authorities then have um, some response um, some responsibilities to ensure children are ed educated it's down to the local authority at that point to decide how to make sure that the child that the children are receiving an education okay thanks thanks for adding that bit to that um, OK, one from Nikki. Um, we haven't gone so far. Amanda, what is your view of the impact on post-16 education, particularly on apprenticeships and further education colleges? Uh, I should have talked about that. It's It's been enormous. Nikki, thank you for taking taking us actually in that direction. There's an inevitable tendency to gravitate towards the early years um, in some of this. Thank you, Nikki. 
that's that's very much appreciated. Um, most most vocational courses um, were, 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 were completely cancelled. Um, so college students who were often not the most motivated sort of 16 to 18 year olds um, often had very little. We know that a pretty substantial minority didn't didn't participate at all in, in what was on offer. I've asked in, ver in various colleges about the, the proportion of students who, who simply didn't didn't engage at all with remote learning and it's it's disconcertingly large. Um, the and of course apprentices um, not only lost their training, but also in many cases lost their jobs. There's a, a sort of bifurcation between the sectors which became mm -hmm. incredibly busy. So I think many apprentices in healthcare, for example, um, I think found themselves working incredibly hard, but other, others um, found their companies shut down and simply have had nothing um, and are picking up their lives from scratch. So it's 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 been very, very difficult. For, for 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 many teenagers, as it has been, actually for um for university students, I, th I think we've seen seen the reflection of that. So, it it comes back around to it's it's young people who've had the rawest deal, no question. Hmm. Do you have a view about universities not going back to teaching in person entirely? Well, I very much hope that that they will take heart from schools and get back to a pretty full program of in-person teaching. Myself, but it's um, that that it's it's a, it's a matter for, for for government and OFS. But it is very clear how much young people benefit from from human interaction. Um, and, and I can see the anger the anger among students of, of you know facing the same fees going back, but not the experience that they. I've, I've got a university student daughter myself and I hear some pretty strong messages from that direction. Yeah. Um, all right. Interesting one from Rebecca Deegan. Um, so she says, as you mentioned, there was lots of innovation during the lockdown and lots of great content was created. Um, is there still a place for technology in education, including video conferencing into the classroom? If it includes hybrid learning with teachers in the classroom who are able to complement any specialised content with hands-on support. Um, sorry, this ends up then not being a question, but the one, the question that it is, is about um, about whether we should preserve any of the technological changes, including hybrid uh, teaching that, that have been discovered during all this. Thank you, um, Rebecca. I, I think we've, we've certainly learnt um, how when when teaching has to be remote, I think we've 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 we've, we've learned a lot more about uh, about how to do that as well as it can be done. Um, and for example, when children are un unable to attend school for, for 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 whatever reason, that's that that's potentially really really valuable learning. Um, I think schools have learned have learned some things about um, organising. So ways of organising children to help to help them adjust to school, for example. Some I've heard from some schools that, that the, the bubble experience showed them some places that they could induct children, help help children who are apprehensive for, for, for whatever reason, that there was some some learning from that for them. Um, what I don't think we can see is something that says let's all swing to technology driven because it is also blindingly clear that even when the same workforce was putting its very best shot into remote learning that children learned far less and were much more miserable and less motivated. So 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 I'm absolutely for picking out the lesson that the, the lessons from it. Um, and I recognize that there's as with all things, it's a mixed picture um, that there was a proportion of children who very much enjoyed working on their own and felt felt able to make progress. But that's very much smaller than the group who who's who's who suffered 
much more than much more than they gained. Mm. So on balance, it's very clear that 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 the, that the the whole school experience is the right one for most children. Thanks for that. But um, we're very interested in actually in people's suggestions on this and our team that looks at this um, and is looking at all kinds of hybrid consequences. So if, if you do have thoughts of this, please yeah. do send them into to, yeah. to our team. Yeah. Sorry, Amanda. I, mean, I was going to say, I think schools pre-pandemic sort of did bring a, 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 a lot in through 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 various re remote links. Um, and and that that can be incredibly effective for for exposing children to things that 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 it's not feasible to get them to experience for firsthand. Um, but um, do I think we've we've found a case for for for, for reversing and um, for making school essentially home based? I don't think we have. And especially, I think most parents would rebel pretty pretty quickly. The the parents I know who've been through the experience of homeschooling their children. Um, say things like, I'm not sure whether my relationship with my daughter is ever going to recover. Uh, yes, <laughs> and I wasn't even attempting to homeschool my daughter. Um, OK, let me ask what may be a final one, but we may manage to squeeze two in. One from Simon, who says, hello, Amanda, with increased concern for children's and young people's mental health and well-being, how will this be reflected in future Ofsted inspections? For example, will there be more focus on PH, uh, PSHE uh, kind regards. Um, and this sounds like a, a marvelously mild question in a way, but it seems to me there is some controversy behind it, which is um, an argument over whether Ofsted should just be looking at educational attainment or looking at things like um, children's mental health as well. And this comes back to, to the fact that a lot of people, I think, haven't looked at the framework. I mean, roughly half of it um, is on the quality of education, the, the sort of academic program and, it, and, and its effectiveness. And the other half splits roughly evenly between um, personal development, um, children's personal development, which obviously includes sort of mental health, wider well-being, um, the behaviour and attitudes, which also very much reflect the school, the, the, the school culture, and the leadership and management of the school. So there's a, there's actually a very strong strand in there already. And the point that I often make to people is that that well-being, for example, isn't it just a thing that you do. We'll do 35 minutes maths and then we'll do 35 minutes well-being. Well-being is an outcome. It's what you get. It's what a child is the experiences as a result of both making good academic progress, but also having good peer relationships, making friends, experiencing in so extracurricular activities of all kinds, discovering where their talents lie, um, finding adults um, that, that who, 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 they, who they trust and can talk to when they need to. That's the package that a good school offers, which adds up to, to well-being for the vast majority of children. And of course, good schools also have um, the eyes and ears and, 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 and the, the links that make sure that for the children for whom that isn't, isn't enough who need extra help that they're picked up rapidly and, and, and get that help. So I'm, I think it's really important that we don't create a sort of odd binary where, 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 we, where we say that, edu that, that, that sort of education in the, the classical sense, academic education is bad for children and everything else is good. Actually, in aggregate, it's, it, the, the totality is what's good. A child who spent 13 years at school kicking a football around, having a lovely time in the playground, but not learning anything. Um, would be pretty bored by the end of it and probably wouldn't be all that motivated and, and, and engaged or happy about adult life. 
it's 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 the rounded education that matters to us and mm. that's very much reflected in the framework so no i don't think it needs to change at this point all right well thank you for that and it's a point you've made um consistently over the past few years about the round, rounded education right let's squeeze one more in it's not a small one though it is a short one um from keith mcdonald how can excessive workload demands on teachers be reduced there's an awful lot of presumptions packed into that question you may or may not accept there's there is a great a, gr a great deal packed into that i mean it, it's it's clear that the that, that most most teachers do work pretty hard i think in covid and um, we've seen a very interesting dynamic where it's the burden has fallen disproportionately on leaders. When you look at the hours that have been worked over the last year and a half, it's 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 leaders and the sort of most senior people who've had to do a disproportionate amount. But but we'll probably revert to um, in the next in, in the next few years to in the next year or so to a more even distribution. There are a number of things that I think contribute um, to to teacher workload. Um, one is um, teachers are extremely conscientious and responsible people um, who tend to do things very thoroughly and when when some expectation changes or when some some new initiative is taken up often often they want to hang on to all the things they were doing previously as well so by default many teachers some highly responsible teachers have load themselves up more and more and find it a bit hard to let go i think there's a an element of that um, i think we also in this country look to schools to do a great deal. Um, if you look at the, the sort of characterization of a school's role um, elsewhere in Europe, for example, there are many countries where, where sport isn't a school responsibility, where that's something that happens entirely, entirely outside school. I think we have a pretty full concept of the extent to which schools are, are expected to provide support and mentoring of various kinds to ch children who are struggling. So, so, so we, we do expect a great deal of our schools um, that, that, they're, that they're resourced, but there's always an argu argument about the adequacy of resources. And a point I've made um, is that the, the reductions in local authority services have often borne heavily on schools who found themselves providing or pay, paying, paying for services to pick up on what the child's no longer getting from elsewhere. So I think that that contributes to the, the perception of increased workload for teachers. But I think what we've done in the new framework actually should contribute to reducing it in in sort of simplifying it. I think there's been a. I think the expectation that every teacher should design their own curriculum, design all their all their own lessons has perhaps pushed a bit too much work down on onto the teachers at the at the end of the line. Um, when a school is focused on a sort of clear, coherent curriculum at school level for all children, I hope that that's going to um, take some of the load off off teachers um, for very intensive le um, lesson preparation for it for it for every lesson, for example. So, but it, it's it's right to have that focus. So how are we making the very most of the effort that teachers put in, and and make sure that that, that they they don't spend time on on work that's not fully productive. Amanda, without, we're going to have to bring it to a close. Everyone, thank you very much for these questions. There were lots of terrific other ones. Uh, Shoy, uh, thank you for your, your batch of questions, which I just couldn't get to. Other interesting ones about net zero, uh, always interesting, but not as um, directly um, relevant to the thrust of this, but I had time to take them in, but thank you for sending them. Thank you everyone very much for watching. And Amanda, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you for having me.